Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And we are talking to you today from the pollen-covered bird sanctuary, which is my backyard. <laughs> Your birds are very happy. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Happy. I want to be clear. I own zero birds. <laughs> the birds in your backyard Correct. are very happy I am not a today. bird person. But yes, there's a lot of birds. And I asked my 14-year-old to vacuum the pollen off the porch, which was a rookie mistake. So um, if we cough, it's not COVID, it's pollen. So We're grateful it's not COVID. Yeah. So what is astonishing you? Well, I got up this morning... <clears throat> asking myself that question because I knew we were walking and podcasting today and we gotta start I, running. What's that? We need to start running. We need to start running. Yes. Why why do you do this to me? You like you just can't leave well enough alone. Yeah, it's we like really, okay, let's it's just lame. We spend a year zooming, right? We're recording this podcast over Zoom. We finally get to the place where we can walk. Let's just enjoy what God has given us. Actually, I'm just mad that there were so many years when we did take a run and talk about our sermons. And then at the time that we were podcasting, I don't know why we weren't running. I think it was like you and your like whatever allergies. (laughs) And I just had a baby. And so we were walking and then and then we started the podcast. And if we had started it at a different time, the name of this podcast would be Two Pastors Take a Run and Make a Podcast, which is much better that's true so i just think we need to but we didn't run and talk yes we did no yes we did (laughs) we ran i listened (laughs) because i cannot run and talk at the same time (laughs) and that's not true maybe that's why we need to run (laughs) anyway anyway sorry what is astonishing you well i got up this morning and i had nothing uh because i've just been really stressed out um you know like a lot of people um not only pandemic but politics everything that's on the news um you know things in your personal life it all weighs on you and we're in this season where you know, one additional thing that any other time might be just something small that you have to deal with. But in this season, one additional thing, no matter too how much. small, just seems like it's too yeah. much. And yeah. so um, the past few days, I've been really stressed and just really struggling with um, my own emotions and getting things done. And, you know, it just feels like I'm in uh, chest deep mud. And, um, so I got up this morning saying, I'm astonished by nothing. I'm just struggling and, um, I'm not in a very good place emotionally. And, um, enter, uh, the grace of the Lord. Um, I was listening to one of my favorite, uh, comedians that I've grown to love during the pandemic, uh, Kevin Fredericks, known as Kev on stage. Uh, he is a, of course, comedian, and uh, he produces a lot of, of content that's on YouTube. And um, I was just watching one of his vlogs this morning, getting my son ready and making breakfast this morning. And um, he's, I mean, just doing simple stuff like he's, he's filming himself at his son's soccer game, and he is in the car going to work, and uh, he has this uh, studio. And so he's at the studio, and uh, folks there have already ordered some food. And they have this uh, big dish of shrimp nachos. Hmm. Yeah, all right. And donuts. That's what they have. 
shrimp, <laughs> shrimp nachos, shrimp and, and donuts. donuts. Sure. But, yeah. I mean, that's cool. And he makes a comment that's very um, junior high potty humor. And it stopped me in my tracks. I laughed so hard I couldn't breathe. Um, listen, one of the things that I enjoy about being um, a melanated person of African descent is that culturally, when we laugh, it is a full body experience. And uh, I laughed so hard that every muscle in my body just tightened. And when I did let out a sound, it was just a scream. And after that laugh, I felt lighter. I felt um, hopeful. I felt, oh, uh, it just gave me a different perspective off of a simple potty mouth statement. And Wait, are you not going to tell us what it is because you're embarrassed to admit? <laughs> Actually, I don't well, even want to know. Never mind. I don't want to it's, know. It's silly. It's not bad. It's just silly. <laughs> Okay, so since you asked. I'm just really scared of what <laughs> potty mouth thing could come out of shrimp and donuts. Well, like I said I just... junior high, I said middle school. So he's, I mean, he's really excited about this food. <laughs> and he says, oh, shrimp, nachos, and donuts. He said, we finished. <laughs> he said, I can't get it out. He said, he said, I can't get it out. He said, I can't get it out. He said, I'm trying to say it the way he said it because it was just so like matter of factly, which made it really funny. He said, he said, oh, we finna do do. It's really stupid. He said, we finna doo-doo. And I just thought that was the funniest thing ever. And after, I, I mean, I laughed for a while. I thought I was going to pass out. I just want to make it clear. I am not, I like Kev on stage. I mean, I, I really do. You think do. it's funny. I do, no, I think I you're funny. I think you not being able to talk, like I'm grateful for him. I think Kev on stage is funny. I follow him a lot. He did it. He did a thing recently. Well, A, he had some um, still photo of himself, and he had, like, a, a blemish, a pimple, and then all his followers started, like, yes. sending in all these, like, Photoshopped yes. things that, like, a, the MapQuest thing on his face. Anyway, so that I, I mean, I think the whole community around him is funny. Yes. And he, um, and he does videos. Um, like, he did one recently where someone wrote him an email saying like they were offended by something he did and so saying that they weren't going to follow him anymore and he did a video of like this is what you want to happen and so he read it out loud and then he just started like like wailing and his kid came in and was like why daddy why so i think he's funny um that i think is not his best work but i am grateful for the way that the lord ministered to you through through yeah i mean i thought Potty was sort of a, a like a, a large designation of a type of humor, but no, it was literally a bathroom Liter- joke. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, yes. sure. Well, and um, again, I, I was just so grateful um, for that because I felt... 
I knew so there was going to come a time on this podcast when we would talk about poop. So I'm just glad <laughs> that we've reached it. Um, and, you know, OK, so l- I'll, I'll take it to a um, a little more sophisticated you're gonna, place. You're going to theologize yes, this? Yes. Uh, here we go. Sure, okay. There's a... Um, uh, what is his name? Uh, an American theologian, and one of the Niebuhrs, Reinhold Niebuhr, who said, humor is the prelude to faith and laughter is the beginning of prayer. And oddly enough, or interestingly enough, after I laughed, I said, thank you, God. I mean, it was just, um, for me, a moment of grace. Well, there's the there are several psalms talking about like our hearts are our our mouths are full of laughter mm-hmm, as we went up mm-hmm. to the house of the lord so i do think i mean i i was thinking about this the other day that um you know just the role of humor in disarming powers and principalities and i i have strong opinions about not telling jokes in sermons but i also think um to be to have joy and levity and li- like, you know, having fun, um, is not, is, is very faithful. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, it, and I was, I forget what I was reading, but it made me think, oh, I might have to re rethink my policy on never telling a joke in a sermon. Cause it just was very persuasive talking about what, you know, what does that mean when we are living from such a place of settled victory that even, even facing the reality of the tragic suffering of this world, we have cause not just for hope, but mm. for rejoicing. And I mean, oh, I think it was Stephen Colbert. I was listening to an interview with him and he was saying, like, if you you can't laugh and be afraid. Right. And oh, so I said that's a really profound idea that yeah. there's something about, again, not laughing at people, but um, even in the face of real I mean, it has to be in the face of acknowledging the real brutality and pain of the fallen world. But but when we don't fear that, like, you, yeah, I just thought that was really profound. You can't. Like, you quote Niebuhr. I'll quote Stephen Colbert. Well, it's well, very good. You cannot well, laugh and, and Kev be on stage, uh, to his credit, says that one of the things that he is doing in this season is cultivating um, black joy. Yep. Says in this season where there is so much pressure, where there is um, the um, the reality, the renewed reality, the renewed um, uh, this resurfacing of of racism, uh, that we need to to have joy. We need to have laughter. And I'm I'm trying to recall the psalm. Um, it says the Lord in heaven laughs. I, I believe it's mm-hmm. the psalm that says. Um, that the that the nations plot yeah. against the Lord and His anointed, and they imagine a vain thing. Yeah, I I do think that um, I mean, we talk a lot about how having joy is can be an act of resistance. That self care and rest and Sabbath yes. are these are all acts of resistance. That again, if your joy comes from ignoring or denying the pain of the world, then then that's a different thing. But if if in light of that, um, you can still trust and believe and walk in faith, then that rejoicing is a form of defiance. Absolutely. And resistance, so. so what is astonishing you? 
Well, I realized as I was trying to rack my mind about all these things um, that there's something that is happening in our community that I've clearly never talked about on the podcast because I you didn't even know about it. And I think that um, sometimes in this season, because there's just so much happening um, that that there are lots of places of provision that we we don't even really marvel at enough. Um, so we have a new ministry that we've launched at the Grove or, or we've whatever this opportunity has come to us just in a couple months. Um, we're um, part of an or partnering with an organization called the Bulb Gallery, which is a series of pop-up mobile markets, farmers markets in Charlotte. Um, and they're donation-based or free mobile markets. Um, so instead of having sort of the traditional model is there's one place where people can come once a week and get fruits and vegetables um, that are not exorbitantly priced. But um, but these the, this model um, was developed to say, you know, most farmers market tend to be in more affluent communities. And, you know, I think most people are familiar with the concept of a food desert where there are certain neighborhoods where there's just no accessible food except for maybe a corner convenience store, which would have no fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and then in other communities, there's just a lot of options. Um, and so we're just saying like, not only in this season when we're thinking a lot about food insecurity, we want to not just make sure that certain people get food, but also that people have access to the same kinds of nutrition um, that everyone has and that we know that Again, this is not a shame and not a blame. It's none of that. But but also we know that if you're if what is accessible to you is highly processed food, that's just not as healthy as things that are um, as fresh food. And obviously, food pantries um, and organizations like Loaves and Fishes, they do really just heroic um, and beautiful work getting food to people. But they're getting shelf-stable food to people, which really affects the nutritional value. And so um, this organization, the Bulb Gallery, said we really want to just um, acknowledge that a lot of neighborhoods that are depending on food assistance are then shut out of fresh produce, much less local produce. And so they have, um, they have cultivated relationships with local farmers, and they're bringing resources into communities at these pop-up mobile markets that um, like you can use um, EBT benefits, but you can also just, I mean, it's just donation or free. And, um, and they also rescue food from Trader Joe's. So um, it's really nice. And we got the opportunity to partner with them uh, once a week. And our friend, um, Megan Argerbright, who's at Amity Presbyterian Church, um, where God is also doing really amazing things. So she first cultivated it. And so now we have one too. And, um, and what's really fun is, you know, meeting them and, and they're discovering that churches are becoming some of their best partners because it's just such a natural fit. You know, we have property, we're often in the communities where they want to be. Um, and it's this amazing opportunity, um, to be able to bless our neighbors, just like, no questions asked, just come up. And so, I mean, the whole thing has been so good and it's been such a gift in this pandemic because what we have not been able to do is, I mean, normally we invite our neighbors into our space for community meals or for 
vacation Bible schools and all that stuff has just been off the table. And so having an opportunity to do something on our campus outdoors, that's safe, that's meeting, meeting a need, giving a gift. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's, it doesn't matter what income level you're at. This is for everyone. Um, it's just been great. And there've been people inside the Grove community who have been so eager to have a ministry. So that's been really fun that I got to help launch our end of it. But I mean, they don't need me. I won't say they don't want me, but like they don't. And so that has been such a gift. And then just in the past couple of weeks, um, two of our neighbors who are part of the, I mean, who initially came just to use the mobile market, were just saying like, Hey, we, we'd like to help. And so they're now, um, you know, helping to serve neighbors and just run the, you know, so it's just like a, this really beautiful, organic, I think, Holy Spirit filled thing. And again, it, it is so important just to stop and marvel at, I mean, was that effortless? No. I mean, it took effort on our part, but also, I mean, the Lord was in it, right? It was just such a, um, it's just such an important reminder that ministry does take effort, but it's not when, when it's really spirit filled, you know, it's not one time, um, my good friend, Lisa Coons, who I talk about a lot, um, showed me a picture and I looked again and again to find it of like a butterfly and tied to the butterfly was a boulder and the butterfly was trying to like fly the boulder. And she showed me this picture and she said, ministry shouldn't feel like this. Mm. Right. And I think a lot of times it does. And I think a lot of times in the culture of conversation around ministry, like we, we talk about how difficult it is and we almost then kind of like do this like weird, gross, humble brag about like, I'm, you know, this is so hard. Well, it's so much harder at my church and I'm suffering more than you and I'm working harder than you. And it's almost like that is the way that the warped culture has infected the culture of the kingdom of God. And to say like, no, I mean, the Lord's yoke is easy and the burden is light. So it's not without effort, but it doesn't feel like a butterfly trying to fly up a boulder, right? Like that's not, if it feels like that, something's wrong. So I'm not saying that, I'm not saying we need to blame anyone. I just am saying like, are we trying to do something that the Lord is not in or, um, because there are opportunities, the Holy spirit is at work wherever we are. And our job is not to say, Hey God, we want to do this, send the Holy spirit so we can do it. Our, our role is to say, um, Lord, show us what you're doing and then show us how we can be a part of it. And, and I think, you know, when that happens, um, like this bold thing was just this really, again, beautiful opportunity, um, life giving. It's just life giving all, all the way around, and um, it's been really good. And um, wor- it's just been really good and beautiful work. Yeah, so. that's fantastic. Yeah. It reminds me of two things. Number one, there's a place in one of the epi- epistles of John uh, that says, um, "There is an anointing that abides." And so, you know, I just think um, in ministry, the anointing of the spirit is there, but often we try to do, as you were saying just now, we try to do things that the spirit isn't in. And we're like, why is this so hard? Well, God didn't want you to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And also we were 
we didn't talk long about this on the walk, but we did talk briefly about, you know, God isn't just trying to get us into heaven. God cares about us, body, soul, spirit. And um, that ministry um, is an example of that. And I think um, that natural partnership, I, I would hope that it spills over into the community so that they get the message this church cares about us. Correct. They're not simply trying to get us into their membership to pad their numbers, right. to fill right. their pews, to whatever their budget, but they care about not only us, but this whole community. Right. And that, right. I think the church has a lot of work to do to communicate that message because, you know, I spent, I've, I've been spending a, a fair amount of time during this pandemic just tuning in to well-known television mm -hmm. preachers just to see what's out there. And sometimes I think if I didn't do this work, if I didn't know it intimately the way I do, I would be turned off yeah. by the church because the message is that people exist to be used by an institution Correct. Correct. and um and, I, and, and people are are hearing that loud and clear and right. so the church the local church has to work to um counteract that message right and i mean then like it's not just a matter of messaging it's a matter of believing right so i you know i often get frustrated um there's a lot of really good leadership right now on the national level of our church which is the pcusa there are some national leaders who i just really really um, admire and honor and see their anointing. And I'm, I'm wanting to be involved because I think the Lord has put them there for just such a time as this. But the culture at large, which has developed in the national denomination over the past however many years, is that local churches exist to send resources up to the national body so that the real work can be done, right? I see that so clearly Right. Whereas I think it's just the opposite. The national body exists to send resources to the local church because the local church is the hope of the world. Like the local church is where lives are being changed. So what whereas I see that very clearly in the denomination, I think that we have to remember that the local church exists to bless its neighborhood. The local church yes. exists to serve the people in its neighborhood, period, full stop. The people in the neighborhood do not exist to build the local church. Right. And so I think that we, we have to understand that um, and not, not just message it, but really believe it. And I think some things are like hard and um, we, we are so stuck in the, and, and like our message is like, well, just push through, just push through, just work harder, just push through. And then I think like, but maybe the message is stop doing this, right? Like if what we're, if what's so hard is we can't get people say, to go to Sunday school, then maybe we need to recognize, like, just really stop and say, so do we still need to be doing this, right? Are we, are we just so set that this has to happen, that we're asking people to come in and prop it up and be part of it and whatever, even though it's not serving them? Um, like, some things, some things are hard, like, for example, the, the struggle for justice is hard and ongoing, and we're not allowed to quit that. Um, but then there are some things that are hard, and we ought to be able to say, you know what, this just isn't for us anymore, and we need to let it go, and we need to look for where the Lord, and just the wisdom and discretion of being able to tell 
what is hard that I need to persevere and I need to accept the suffering and rejoice in it. And then other things that are hard and are not working. And I need to say, maybe the Lord is leading me in a different direction. So whether that's a a relationship or a program or like you've got this dream of having a certain job or like you want your kids to do X instead of Y. I mean, some things, I don't know a a friend who um, (laughs) I'm sure is listening to this, sent me something the other day by this woman, Kelly Corrigan, who had like a little thing that she had written called something like the blessing of, oh, well, and she was just naming all these things like sometimes you I mean I can't just I can't even think of a good example now but like you know sometimes you pour your heart into and soul into a child and want them to do one thing and they won't do it Mm. oh well Mm. I mean like I think Mm -hmm. there's just sometimes some things are hard and the answer is to lean in and to struggle and to endure the suffering knowing that it will be redeemed and then some things are hard and we need to have the wisdom to say oh well this won't work. I have to accept this. Yeah. And how, move a how, way. how ironic is it that an institution that is um, known for conducting funerals has a hard time just letting things go? Like, mm-hmm. programmatically, when we baptize something, it's like we think it should exist forever and ever. Amen. Mm-hmm. And we just have a hard time saying, you know what? The Lord's not in this anymore. Right, right. And to really accept that, you know, every single church that was part of the New Testament no longer exists. But it doesn't mean they didn't they didn't fail. Right. It doesn't mean they don't matter anymore. And so, you know, I just feel like we exist in these two polarities in the denomination that there's a group of people saying, like, you know, let it all die and it doesn't matter. I- I'm so not there. Right. I'm so not there. That would lead me to despair. Right. And then the other polarization is, no, hold on to it. This is good, and we will hold on to it to our last breath. And I think the reality is, you know, we we are in a season of great transformation and reformation, which we should have, uh, that should be every season in the body of Christ, always. And, and we need to pray for the wisdom to say, where do we persevere and where do we relinquish? Where, and, you know, I think when things are about our own comfort or familiarity, or just the pleasure we get in doing something excellently, we need to be able to sacrifice and let go. Um, and when things are about the suffering of, of other people, that's where we need to s- remain committed and say, I will not let you go until you bless us, right? Like that, yeah, but we good. just don't know. It's yeah. almost like in so many places, we, we're resigned to what we should never be resigned to, and we refuse to accept, you know, just change in areas where, they were meant to be changed. They were never meant to be. Yeah, idols. I said last week at the beginning of the pandemic, um, the elders at Dorita Church held a series of retreats on Zoom. And our primary question was, God, what are you telling us in this season? And I look back on those retreats and I think we should be asking that all the time. That should just be part of the rhythm of our yeah. life together, not when there is a great disruption like a pandemic, but we should be constantly asking, God, what are you saying now? Um, Because I think that would help us get into a better um, mindset of letting things go. Oh, you're saying leave this? Okay, I can let it go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. Well, what are you thinking about? What am I thinking about? Well, I am thinking about uh, the future of the church, and I don't do a lot of predictions. I do not walk in the office of a prophet. 
Uh, but I've been trying to anticipate, okay, what what is the church going to look like um, post-pandemic, uh, post-COVID? And I don't know, but I have this theory. So I have been uh, listening to my parents for more than, uh, you know, a couple of months um, reflect on conversations um, that they've had with some of their friends. And, you know, these folks are late 60s, early 70s, and um, many of them are saying, we kind of like this church at home thing, and um, it's hard to think about going back. And what I'm hearing them say is that they will go back, but maybe not every Sunday anymore. I add to that uh, the statistic that said that churches need to expect that initially only about a third of the membership will return uh, when people go back to in-person services. And um, uh, so again, I'm, I'm asking myself, well, what, what is the future of the church? What kind of model should we have in our heads? Right? In the 80s and 90s, there was the mega church model. So it was like, almost like a shopping mall. It was big, all things to all people. Then in the 2000s, uh, there was the multi-site model where, where a large church had different sites around the city or even around the country. And I like, personally, I like large worship gatherings, but I wouldn't go to one anytime soon. Um, I, I don't know when I will again in my life. And so again, I'm wrestling with what, what will church look like? And I think for us, and I'm just playing around with this, I think for us, worship gatherings look like groups of 50 or less and that the local church should perhaps think about having several worship services, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week, maybe three on a Sunday and one midweek, even if you are a church of, let's say, 150 people or less. I think you should have at least three services. I, I think smaller, more intimate gatherings um, might be where things going. At least that's what I'm thinking at this point. And um, so I'm trying to get my head around what does that look like for us in terms of scheduling, me in terms of energy. And I think, yeah, I could, I could do four services a week, three on a Sunday and uh, maybe one on a Wednesday night. Um, that is essentially the same as the Sunday morning gathering. But that's, that's kind of my working theory as to what's next. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, my first instinct, I mean, there's so much talk right now and speculation about what's next and how have we changed. And I guess part of me just wants to say... We don't know. Well, right. And I just want to look at this deep need to know. I mean, I understand that we want to be able to be faithful, right? So obviously, I mean, as we've just been talking about, if things are changing, we need to shift and we need to be not. So we need to not worship the form of mm -hmm. how we experience God, but God, right? And so being open to change, I think is really important. Um, but I also think, you know, it's, it's just not clear right now. And I think that there's great um, formation 
possible in just accepting that, you know, here's my heart, Lord. This I understand that this church belongs to you. How you lead us will follow. And also, it's not clear right now, so so be it, right? Like, I can live, I, I, I can choose to live and trust you in the uncertainty. And I think, you know, finding that, um, because... Because I guess I think what makes me uncomfortable about some of the speculation, and I don't mean this particular mm-hmm. conversation, I mean what I read and all kinds of industries that are capitalizing off of the anxiety of believers, right? So, I mean, I think the assumption in a lot of that work is like things are changing and you you better be first, right? You, like You better be cutting edge. Right, or you else. need to be cutting yes. edge and like if you don't change first then all your people are going to leave and what i mean so again it's that assumption of like so the people exist to prop up your institution instead of like hey we exist to serve the lord and our church exists so that people can come into relationship with jesus and come alive in him and so the reality is if god calls people other places we should rejoice in that. And, and you mean, I guess like, it's just, I think to be curious is great to be open is great, but to really intentionally reject anxiety is to say like, I'm not, this is, I was saying on Sunday and the parts of my sermon I didn't hate is that like this, this next season we have all the time in the world to get it right. Like we have all the time in the world to be faithful, right? Like there's not, <laughs> um, I used to watch days of our lives in college. So the opening montage of really? like, I know it was a thing. We watched it together. It was ridiculous. But, um, but you know, the opening montage is that hourglass, right? And the yes, sands are coming yes, down, right? Yes. And like, these are the days of our lives. And you so this idea that like, they're precious and they're running out and blah, blah, blah. And like, I feel like people have that hourglass, imposed Mm. subconsciously over everything and to be able to say like no we don't have that right like we have all the time in the world to be faithful to god to get it right like god god is not sitting up there going tick tock right that is not what god is doing so we need to understand that and we need to understand that we don't need to function in anxiety we have everything we need to be faithful in this season we have everything we need to be faithful in this season. So to wonder about what's next, to resolve to be faithful, that whatever it looks like will be faithful. I mean, that's great. But also just to be aware that a lot of the conversation is being fueled by anxiety and scarcity. And we just need to name that and to say like, nothing is at stake friends. I mean, in a, nothing is at stake. All we want to do is be faithful to what God is doing. God isn't, counting on us god isn't depending on us so we know the end of the story and we can move forward with joy and you know confidence caring being willing to say like i've got nothing better to do with my life than be a part of what god is doing right and all of those things ironically are are what people are looking for so desperately. Like people don't need to feel anxious in their families and feel anxious at work and then come to church and feel anxious spiritually, right? Um, People also don't need to come to church and hear lies that you don't need to worry about anything because nobody that matters to God is hurting, right? Like it's this place of saying the pain of the world is real and it matters. 
God is about the work of redeeming and rebuilding. And we're invited to be part of that. And there's nothing better to do with our time. And we have everything that we need. And we don't need to know what's going to happen tomorrow because we know who, whatever. Cue the sermon. Uh, <laughs> roll. Take it to the cross. So, so are you anticipating major changes, little changes? I mean, what, what are you... Yeah, I mean, I think... What are think you thinking in terms of not way down the road, but... I mean, I just think... And what's helpful is having been through what we've been through before at the Grove, you know, there was just a huge long season of time where, you know, we thought we were going to die next week. So there was no mm. long-range planning. There was no... We didn't need a five-year plan. We didn't need a five-week plan. Like, the the work of faithfulness was to get up and to do what we could today and not worry about tomorrow, right? And and that was that felt like a punishment and it was actually really life-giving and and we learned something really important about how to walk by faith and not by sight. And so the reality is I I know <laughs> that right now we have work to do to figure out how to faithfully come back to worship in person. Mm. That that's what we have to work on right now. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if the plans that we are making right now are actually the right ones. Um, I won't know that until we go back and try. And then when we go back and try, obviously we will probably discover that we need to shift and pivot in some ways. And we will. And I think that's, you know, I guess that's part of the anxiety is people want to get it right. And I just know that I won't know what right is until I get it wrong. Right. So yeah, I, I just want to experiment. I, I want to say, hey, I think the Lord is saying this. Let's try it. Yeah, no, I knowing that, you know what, building's probably not going to fall in. It's, you know, right. we right. can risk. And if we stumble, that's OK. It's and okay. That, yeah, I think we've talked a lot about how at the Grove, this has to be a community where it's OK to fail. Right. Mm. There's no shame in failing. Like what we need to be able to do is tell a story about why we did what we did. That's in line with our mission and our guiding principles. Right. So like. We tried this ministry because we wanted to feed our neighbors and we could never have foreseen X, Y, and Z consequence. And that's why we had to shut it down. But I'm not, you know, I think so. Well, we've talked about this a lot. So many faith communities are running on anxiety. And so when an opportunity arises, what they want to do is think of everything that could go wrong and either solve that problem or say, well, we won't do this because it could go wrong in that way. And our job isn't to stop things from going wrong. Our job is to be faithful, to take appropriate risks, to be good stewards, but also to, to understand that, you know, there's no, we're not saving it for the future. Like we are here to be a blessing here and now. And either we believe, believe that the Lord provides or else what are we doing? Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah. So I, I think, it's good to be aware that things are going to change, to be open to that, and also to just be mindful about how helpful it is to speculate about what the future could be. I mean, it really brings me back to the early days of the pandemic where I definitely fell down a rabbit hole where I would just be sitting, you know, March of 2020, just refreshing every 20 minutes because I just wanted to know more information about yeah. like how bad yeah. is this and how long will it last and how will we get out? And there just, there was no more information. 
Yeah, and part of my um, just orientation, the way I'm wired, is that I'm a future-oriented person. I am a, a big picture, kind of head in the clouds, and so I'm always thinking about those things. Um, and yeah, that's just that's where I live. Um, but for me, it's not an anxious place. Yeah, It is, here's a chance to dream. What might it look like? What might God be doing? Um, and so, yeah, it's joy. What, what are you thinking about? Well, I mean, in line with this, um, I have said casually before that I've been curious at this time about sort of who who will be in the church on the other side of this pandemic, like when we come back, who is coming back. Um, and I've just been very aware that, you know, when you take a, a break from in-person worship that is over a year, Incredible. Um, that, you know, things are going to shift and change among different people. And some people, you know, we've had people move during this time. We've, um, and, and people have changed. Like this has been a time of great discovery for people. And, and to the extent that anybody was a part of something just because it was a thing they did, it's no longer a thing you do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, it's no longer a habit. And so, I, I knew that there would be some people that after this amount of time, they would be looking at the community and saying, does being part of this community make sense for me anymore? Um, and so I just, you know, I, I had reached out to someone in the community yesterday to invite them to be part of the reopening plan. And, you know, and they they had just communicated to me that they we're not going to be returning. And I, you know, with my head, I understand that. Um, and with my soul, I trust God in that. Certainly I'm dumb, but not dumb enough to believe that the only thing God is doing, God is doing at the Grove. Right. So I trust that, um, you know, I, I trust that God will be faithful to them and, I, I believe them, you know, we didn't have a big long conversation, but I, I don't certainly don't believe that I know better than someone else where the Lord is leading them. So I, so with my, with my head, I can look at some things and go, yep, that makes sense. And with my soul, I can wholeheartedly trust, um, that God will be good to them and that God is in it. And with my heart, like I care about them and, you know, there's just, pain there um you know even though my head knows what it knows and even though my soul knows and believes what it believes like with my heart like I I don't I don't ever want to get to a point where someone tells me they're not going to be a part of the community and my response is oh well like I don't want that um I also don't want to be you know a bleeding mass of ridiculousness right um but um you know, I'm, I am sad. And so I'm just thinking about, you know, what it means, um, what it means that people come into your community for a season and people, then their season is over and they move on or, or what it means when sometimes you are tempted to get people to hold on for the wrong reasons. Um, 
and instead of just accepting that, you know, the, um, the distance is real, even if they're still showing up, you know, regularly or, you know, and that, and that it's, again, like, it's not a matter of like, well, good people go to this church and, you know, like, that's ridiculous. Like there are, there are, I mean, obviously people of value and worth participate in all kinds of different communities and the Holy Spirit meets them there. And I mean, I, I like, I know all of this and it's just hard to sort of pay attention to how you feel. And, and on the one hand to say like, well, this is what loving people means. Like it matters to you. Um, and also accepting, I mean, it's, it's just hard and I don't ever want it to not be hard and, and also figuring out like, what does it mean to be faithful? Like, how do you communicate to these people? Like I care about you and you matter and I accept what you're saying and I don't want them to think, Oh, no one cares that we're leaving. Um, and I, and I talk a lot about, you know, I don't, I don't believe in ministry by subtraction. Like I think that a lot of times when we're doing the real work of building community with people and people are hard and human inevitably. And so there's, there's conflict and there's, you know, just tension and growing pains. And often I just feel like the enemy of our souls will lean over and whisper in like everything would be better if they were gone. Right. And it's just tempting. Like, and you hear people say like, Oh, this person just doesn't belong in this group or on this ministry or this person doesn't fit in. And, and like the temptation is to think like, Oh, if, if that person were gone, then everything would be wonderful. And it's not true. Like, uh, you know, our, the church doesn't grow by subtraction. It doesn't get better, you know, with certain people being gone. Like if there's, if there's, conflict and there's tension then that means that there's growing for everyone to do and we want to lean into that and also people's seasons end and and being able to accept that so um I you know I'm just thinking about that and and thinking about like practical issues like do you it's not my story to tell but what you know, how do you share that information? Like, I think it's important to say goodbye well. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, I don't know. So I just... Well, pre-pandemic, um, you know, we had a number of people leave because they retired and were moving away. And, um, and most of them let me know well in advance that that day was coming. And so I simply asked what's going to be your last Sunday with us? They would let me know. And at some point during worship, I would call them forward, say, hey, we have loved on these people. They have loved us. Uh, we've appreciated what God has done for them, through them, with them in this ministry. And then as a church, we pray for them as we send them on their way. Um, and in almost every case, I can't think of one in which this isn't um, the case. Um, I've allowed them to say something to the church. Um, and, and often they are very kind and gracious and uh, will, will say things that um, surprise me. You know, one uh, woman we had uh, move uh, to um, Georgia, I remember on her last Sunday, I remember giving her the microphone. And this is a woman not known for being an expressive worshiper. 
And she began to talk about her spiritual growth and her change in perspective in terms of worship and the part I played in that. And it, it shocked me and it moved me. I, I remember um, crying um, because I had no clue that that was happening in her. And for me, those, those have been occasions that have been um, a real blessing. And yet, I've struggled with helping the church grieve a loss. Yeah. Even after that ritual, there's a lot of talk of, well, if so-and-so was still here, when they were here, mm -hmm. and if we can get people back, and those who have left the church who are still in the city, if we can just, right. what's the magic program to get them back? And, you know, the work for me is to help the church see, you know, there are a lot of people right around us who would love um, to be loved on by mm -hmm. us and um, who are starving for the kind of community that we are. And so let's, let's set our eyes and our hearts on them um, because they're, they're not going to knock on our door. We must go after them. Well, and I think what is hard, I mean, just the real tension that we're never going to get out of is A, you know, the church obviously is supposed to be a place where people can grow in their relationship with God and grow in their love for God and grow in their experience of God's love, right? So there are going to be people, obviously, who experience the love of God first through the church as an institution and then through the church as a community, right? And what's hard is when it never grows past that, right? right. Mm -hmm. So when we think that the the goodness that we experience in the institution and the goodness that we experience in the community are the goodness of God, right? And and when instead of understanding that it's a part of the goodness of God, and and honestly, as lovely as it is, a small part, right? Yes. And so, you know, that's why we hold on because we think, well, if we lose this institution or if we lose these programs or rituals or if we lose this community, then we lose God, right? And we just don't know, we, we don't have an experience of discovering that those losses are real and still God's goodness is abundant, right? And, and and as we were saying on the walk, for us, and I'm sure like the Grove, you know, when people leave and the people who have been, you know, the historic members of the church then look out at the neighborhood and say, those people are, they don't look like me. They're, they're, they're not the people that I've grown up with. Um, there's some anxiety there about will will they receive our love? Will they love us? And right. Is it possible? Because the culture says it's not. That's right. right? And so it's easier to pine for those who have left than to say, oh, no, we're going to make new friends. Can Can there be real, authentic community that is, you know, which is multi-ethnic. Like, yeah. is that possible? The culture says it's not possible. And listen. and even marketplace Christianity says it's listen. not possible. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yep. And so, yep. so for us to say that I'm, I might be losing the people I have done community with in the past, but I'm not losing community. Like that is an act of radical faith. Um, and, and again, the community that we had, these, these homogenous communities that we've had, like God has met us in them because they, because they were the place where we were. And so God has met us in them. God is faithful. And 
the kind of unity that we had in those homogenous communities, it was not as deep as the kind of unity and love that we can have in a community that doesn't have that kind of superficial commonality, right? But, you know, but they're it will be different. And, um, and that's just hard. And it's especially hard when people have no, you know, they might, they might have the, whatever, the theological training to understand, again, that that will be so someday, right. past eternity mm-hmm. in, you know, the kingdom of God, whatever, wherever that is, but, but not this day and not here. And so to really recover this idea that, like, no, Jesus says the kingdom of God is among us, is here right now. I think he said that. And so we are saying we want to go after that and to trust that, like, there's no human, quote, natural way for that to happen. But good news is we believe that we're not limited to what we call natural or to human effort, right? So so we're taking a radical step of faith to even hope in a new kind of community that will be different than any other kind of church that we've ever been a part of before. And that is really hard. But the but the grief work is real and the pain of rejection is real, especially when people are not saying I'm moving when they're saying like, no, I'm staying here, but this is not, not going to be my community yeah, anymore. Yeah, like that's yeah. real. And that is painful. And to love people and also let them go and grieve their going and, and want God's best for them and pray God's best for them. Um, but, and then, and then the fear of, no one else will ever, you know, will care about me the way these people did. Like all of those things are really real and we need to name them. And also, I mean, I think this is a place where we can put God to the test and say like, okay, Mm. God, if I didn't believe your promises, I'd be freaking out, but I'm standing, um, I'm standing on your promises. I'm walking by faith and not by sight. And so I'm going to need you to be God all by yourself here, which is the point of all of it. What are you preaching? Well, I'm preaching Nehemiah again. And let me just say what I really realized this week. So Nehemiah, obviously, well, not obviously. Nehemiah is a book that we don't read a whole lot anyway. And um, it is the story. It is an autobiography. It is the story of um, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem after the exile. Right. So the challenging thing is... um, what Nehemiah actually is rebuilding is a wall around the city. That is the actual structure that he is rebuilding. That is the part how he's rebuilding the city. And and the culture war has ruined Nehemiah. Like when you talk about building a wall uh, in 2021 in America, yeah, man. like there's just so much baggage and freight mm. that comes to the conversation that you're not talking about, but, but that doesn't mean people aren't hearing it. Like everything is being filtered through that. And so it's really, really difficult. Um, it's really difficult. Like I'm really struggling, um, with, with how to do that well. And like, do you just ignore it? Do you name it? Like, do you, you know, it's just, um, it's a challenge. So I'm feeling frustrated about it. Well, and if you're not a preacher, you may not realize that part of the struggle is when you have this kind of situation, 
you don't want to say too much because your sermon can get bogged down Correct. in what really isn't the point of the message. And Correct. next thing you know, you've gone way off on this thing that you're trying not to say. You're right. trying not to highlight it. Right. You're trying not like you don't to want make to preach sermon about a whole, this. Right. You don't want yes. to preach a whole sermon about what you're not preaching about. Exactly. Right. On the other hand, there is this elephant in the room that you must address. And so right. that is the that that's what you have to navigate. And sometimes people are hearing things that you're not saying as a preacher, mm. right? Like mm. people, I mean, and I thought about this for a long time. Like there are just words in our faith that have been I think hijacked and co-opted by by the powers and principalities, right? So if you're talking about repentance or redemption or the cross or you know salvation i mean i think there are a lot of ways that those are commonly understood in say popular christian culture or or just popular secular culture that that are not actually biblically faithful um but but everybody assumes that they are you know somebody with a certain amount of um reach (laughs) uses a word um, like sin or salvation and people go, well, I mean, I'm no theologian, but this, this dude is, so he must be right. So I think it's just really difficult because on the one hand you kind of do as a preacher need to say, Hey, if you think this means this, it doesn't. On the other hand, you know, it's hard enough to preach a message about what your message is if you have to do all the work of unpacking what it isn't that's ridiculous and I mean you and I have talked a lot about how I don't want to preach against things yes right I don't and I think so much of preaching in this year in this whatever in this generation in this season on both sides of the culture war is about preaching against what the quote other side is doing that is wrong. I don't want to preach against anything. I want to preach for what God is doing. Right. So I'm just saying like, there's always a low level challenge to be thinking about what am I saying? And also what might people hear that I'm not saying, but when you are literally talking about building a wall, (laughs) it's just like, it's ridiculous. Like even my kids who let's face it, you know, are not, I mean, it's their mom droning on there in the living room on Sunday mornings. Like they're not whatever. But even Callie was like, did you just say you should build a wall? Like that's my 14 year old. She's like, I can see the headlines now. Pastor says build a wall. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's so great. And you know, I am not talking about that, right? Like that, I mean, even if the wall weren't a charged idea in American culture, like Nehemiah was literally building a wall around the city, but the, but I mean, it was spiritual work. Like that was the thing he was doing, but the, but it was spiritual work. I don't know. It just, it's a mess. And I am really regretting that I didn't pick Ezra. Like I could have just picked Ezra. Ezra was rebuilding a temple. It would have just been a one-to-one metaphorical. So damn it. how I feel about that I just on Sunday I was like and we're gonna rebuild a wall but not a physical wall a spiritual wall and it's a spiritual wall of love and we're gonna start it was like oh my gosh like this has gone totally off the rails I quit if I were a bad friend I would like troll you on Sunday morning it was ridiculous it was so ridiculous I just just like I can't and sometimes the preaching moment is like that right like you just are like I am so far out of my depth 
Yep. Like I am just, I mean, because the reality is if you're doing this right, like you're trying, you're trying, you're trying to speak for God. Like that's just ridiculous. That's it just dumb. That is just like only nuts. idiot fools say, I know what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to stand up in front of people every week and say, here's what God says. I mean, like, what kind of an idiot does that? But you just kind of get in the groove of it, and it starts to feel normal. And then there are some weeks where you're like, this This is is not normal. This This is is stupid, and I am an idiot. And so anyway. even, Even someone like the Apostle John, who has this vision, right? Book of Revelation. Right. Right. A lot of the book he's saying, okay, it was like this. It was, it was like, like that. I, I mean, just, yeah. right? He does. He can't even. Right. And and the thing is, I also get, you think about it for half a second and you're like, Psh. I mean, I get why the Lord would make a donkey talk, right? Like I get why fools, you know, Paul says like not many of you were wise. Like the reality is like to use an imperfect vessel explicitly is super helpful in terms of the health of the community, right? So that it's, it doesn't have a cult of personality. You don't start like, uh, here's what I know for sure. Not God, like me, right. not God, right? right? So I don't, no one should put their faith in me and no one should put their faith in what I think about Jesus. Like that is whatever, like I'm just a, so on the one hand, you get to these Sundays where you're like, man, I'm going to sound like an idiot this Sunday and fair enough. Right. Like I get it. Like that's fine. And there are definitely Sundays where you just, I mean, I'm not stepping into a pulpit, but like I pray like God, you know, you, I just am praying that your will would be done in this moment. So like if you could, you know, move people in the way you want to move people, change people in the way you want to change people, grow people in the way you want to change people. And I could look cool while doing it. Like that'd be great. Like I'd prefer that. But if I have to look like an idiot in order for, you know, that's fine too. Like if I have to look like a, like some Sundays you're just going to look like a fool and you have to accept that because at the end of the day, I know that sermons are not growing anyone, right? Like they are just a means to an end. And so I still want to do them as well as I can. And I love doing them and I love preaching. And also there are just moments where I'm like, I'm an idiot and I'm not going to talk about it. Obviously. I mean, except on this podcast, but like when I was first starting preaching and then I'm going to shut up this last story, like I, my husband who I'm not allowed to talk about ever in church, but this is a church. So, (laughs) (laughs) And he'll never listen to this, so it's fine. This is what you get for never listening to my podcast. We actually, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, months ago, we were talking about a friend whose brother does a podcast. And the friend was saying that she had never listened to his podcast. And Colin was like, you never listened to your brother's podcast? And I was like, um, I just want you to rewind and think about what you just said. And he was like, oh, never mind. He's never listened to this podcast, never going to listen to this podcast. That's fine. Um. But since he's not, I can say my husband has, was not my husband at the time, but has heard, bless him, almost every sermon I've ever preached because we started dating before I went to seminary. So uh, like as I was learning how to be a preacher, he was in the pews and um, I have gotten really some of the most valuable feedback I've ever gotten from him because he is just a man who tells the truth, right? And so like one of the greatest preaching concepts that I have is what he said to me. And I've told you this before. He said like, listen, 
You can be good or you can be short. I don't care which one you are, but you better be one or the other. You can't always be good. You can't always be you short, be right? Short I'm equally happy, right? This past Sunday, I was neither. And anyway, whatever. But, um, but what he noticed when I was learning how to preach, and he said this to me because he heard all my sermons. He was like, do you realize that every time you get up there, you start off by apologizing like you don't say i'm sorry but you'll talk about like well it's trinity sunday but nobody really understands the trinity or like i was doing some reading about so and so and the scholars don't know this that and the other he's like you basically start off every sermon by telling us like all the reasons why it's hard for you to figure out what to say or to preach and he's like like and I'm doing that to try to contextualize, like, hey, I'm not pretending to be whatever. But he's like, basically, you're telling me not to listen to you, right? Yeah. Like, you're you're starting the sermon by giving me all the reasons why what you're going to say is maybe not the truth or is not accurate or whatever. Like, if you don't think that what you're about to say is right, then don't say it, right? And I was like, that's helpful. Like, I was trying to make everybody aware of the fact that I knew that I might sound like an idiot and like at least I'm not like unaware that of nobody that. cares about our psychology nobody just cares. listening for a word right like <laughs> nobody wants to hear about how like you wrestled with the Lord and maybe you didn't get it and you like shut up like no one is here to hear about your process yeah, right like, I got problems what is what is right. God like saying? if you don't have anything to say then sit down right so so again I didn't know I was doing it he was a hundred percent right um, it was this rhetorical move of like lowering people's expectations and then maybe you blow them away. Doesn't matter. Oh. Like it's just, it's dumb. Don't do it. Right. So you just stand up, you say what you think the Lord has you to say, and then you sit down. And on the way out, if you have a bad sermon, you don't get to be like, I'm sorry. But like, like people don't need to take care of you after you preach. Like if it was a bad sermon, they already had to sit through it. They don't need to make you feel better about it. Okay. You know, like you just, I mean, it's helpful. These are all the things that a spouse will tell you that no one else will. So um, anyway, I know that some Sundays I swing and miss. I know it's my job not to whine about it. I know that last Sunday was one of them. I know that the Lord can use it. Um, but I also know that the culture war has ruined the book of Nehemiah. And I got, I picked a five Sunday month to go through it. <laughs> so that's right. Um, anyway, so we'll, we'll see, but, that so I'm preaching about Nehemiah. Yeah, that's what I have to say. What are you preaching okay. about? Okay, let me compose myself. I'm laughing. Okay, so um, we started a series last week on the person and work of the Holy Spirit that's going to lead us to Pentecost Sunday on the 23rd of this month. And this Sunday, we are, um, I'm actually taking a page from your book um i have <laughs> i have a, it's an odd week to do that well, but okay I have a topic but i don't have a text yet um so thanks <laughs> thanks for calling me out for isogesis <laughs> um we're, we're looking at the holy spirit and worship and so i have some texts in mind but i think i'm going to do like a topical sermon instead of um you know an exegetical sermon where i just drill down into one particular text so um, one, I'm just drawn to one of my favorite stories. I just, I, I think I preach this story at least once a year, I think. Uh, it's the woman 
who goes into the dinner party with an alabaster jar of perfume yep. and she pours it on Jesus. Uh, it's just this beautiful moment of adoring him. And um, in the end, Jesus says um, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. Yep. And uh, I'm also looking at the place where Jesus says um, the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, then another place where uh, the Apostle Paul says that we're to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And um, I have no idea what God wants to do with that. Well, here's my, my initial um, thinking about where God is leading us. You know, we are in the midst of trying to shift the worship culture to one that says, hey, don't be an observer, be a participant in worship. Right. And so we're looking at, I'll say, how do, you, how do you help traditional older Presbyterians who have been told most of their lives to come in, sit in a pew, and to receive what happens on the platform, and then to leave saying, well, wasn't that nice? How do you help those folks transition into being active worshipers, right. active participants, led by the Spirit? And I think... If I sit with that um, uh, story from Luke about the woman with the alabaster jar, one of the things I'm, one of the reasons I'm drawn to it, is because I mean, first of all, she's so expressive and emotional in a, in her adoration of Jesus. I mean, so much so that it makes the people around her uncomfortable. Um, but it's, and and the Bible doesn't give us her psychology, how she was wired, right. whether an introvert or extrovert. But what we are given is this sense of, oh, she clearly has a sense of Jesus has done something wonderful for her. Well, I think maybe one of the ways to get at where I think you're going is what she was in that moment was authentic. Yes. Right? So she wasn't looking at what other people were doing and doing that. She wasn't saying, this is what I have permission to do, so I will do that, right? Because I think the danger, the pushback, and, and I think it's legit to say, you know, there, there, there is what we want is authenticity and not artifice and not ritual. And so there's no gain to go from artificially being one way in the sanctuary to artificially being a different way in the sanctuary. Like what we want is for people to have the freedom and take the risks to be authentic in their encounter with God. And so, so if your authentic worship is to lift your hands, that's wonderful. And, you know, everybody might try lifting their hands every once in a while just to see what, what happens. But if your authentic worship is to sit in reverent silence and stillness, that's wonderful, right? And so it's not about fitting the pattern and being like everyone else. It's about being, um, having an intention of, I'm going to focus my whole heart on who God is and, and that's respond to that. Yes. Right. And so she was authentic. Now but I'm asking the question, how do I help people get there? Correct. Right. Correct. And so part of it is, oh, we need to do some, um, uh, I'll call it work. I need a better word uh, in our own lives of, you know, when you're when you're driving to the building on Sunday mornings, what are you thinking about? Are you right. thinking about this is what the Lord has done for me this week? Um, right. Or are you thinking about this is what I'm going to have for lunch? Right. right. Where is your mind? Because I think that has 
a lot to do with it. If we can, if we can shift our focus toward a sense of gratitude, that that will spark the authenticity of our expression. Right, because, I mean, Scripture is clear, and, and you know, you can see it a lot in the Old Testament prophets, that people can be very expressive and emotive, and, and it is very displeasing to God because mm-hmm. their hearts are not actually united with God. They're not living in the covenant. I mean, there's all that terrifyingly great stuff in Amos about how God is saying, you know, I hate, I hate all your worship um, because it is Amos, right? Like you, you're stepping over the poor on your way to go make sacrifices and priding yourselves on keeping the covenant so exactly. And, you know, Jesus says like you tithe on your mint and your rue, but you, you know, you don't care about justice. So again, it's not about saying to, saying to a certain group of worshipers, hey, you're worshiping wrong. Like you worship that way. And now I want you to worship this way. Oh no, I might say that. No, (laughs) it's not. It's about saying you are not, you know, let, let's do the daring thing of encountering God in this moment and not using our rituals to protect us from God, but encountering God. What I'm seeking to do is to lay out a buffet in terms of, expression right and i think you know another text at least in our community they have not felt the freedom correct and so we we want to say there is freedom and you know we've talked about you don't break a bad habit you replace it with a good habit Mm -hmm. and so i'm not saying don't do what you used to do i'm saying let's replace it with a good habit and the good habit is how can we allow gratitude for Jesus and what he has done and who he is um, move us to the place where we do something that we would consider not normal for us. Well, I also think it's about saying like, look, we haven't arrived. Like we haven't arrived. So we're growing and this Mm -hmm. is a place we're growing and growth requires change. And so, you know, because the other text that springs to my mind is like the, the, the uh, passage where the two men go to be up to the temple and Jesus, you know, and one of them says, thank you, God, that I am X, Y, Z. And the other guy says publicly, you know, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, only one of those guys is coming home justified. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that there's a way that we show up in worship that, says to everyone around us that we are righteous and that we are in right relationship with God. And then there's another way we could show up that would make people around us go like, Ew, what is that? You know? And like, uh, and, and the reality is that, that the one that we approve of is not the one God approves of. And the one we disapprove of is the one God approves of. Right. And so just like, I think just to complicate that narrative of like what is good worship and to really open people up to this idea that maybe what we've been taught our whole life as good worship like does that line up with what scripture represents as good worship because being a faithful member of an institution is not what scripture represents as good worship and faith so i think um yeah, but I think like it's too easy for people just to close their ears and say like, well, I don't have to raise my hand and worship and that'd be fake and God doesn't want me to be fake. True. Mm-hmm. True. And you might be being equally fake by what you're doing right now. Right. I mean, like, I don't know, but 
you know, our rituals and our traditions can numb us to the presence of the holy. And, and that can be what we use them for on purpose. So. Yeah, that's good. Well, there, well, there it is. This has been a long time with Yolando and Kate. So we are glad that you're still listening. If you're still listening and never fear, we will have more to say next week. If you want to find out more about what is happening at Derrida Presbyterian Church, D-E-R-I-T-A pres.org, where Yolando is serving, you can go to their website. You can also go to the podcast, the Podbean website to download the Derrida Church podcast and listen to Yolando's messages. And you can go to the Derrida Prez YouTube channel and see worship at Derrida. And if you want to... The Derrida Church. Thank you. Yes. Derrida Church. This is all this is all so confusing. And if you want to find out more about what God is doing at the Grove, um, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. You can go to our um, our podcast, which is at <laughs> there's daycare at my house and Yolanda was making faces at the children <laughs> over my shoulder. It's very distracting. You can go to our iTunes uh, site, the, the Grove Church Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can worship with us on the live stream on our Facebook channel page, um, the Grove Church Charlotte. Look for the Green Tree uh, Sundays at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 